understanding. Okay, we are in Nehemiah chapter 2. This morning we're starting at verse 10. So let's open with a word of prayer and we'll, we'll get started. Father God, we do thank you for uh, this book and for the, the history it gives to us of how you interacted with your people, about how you carry out your purposes uh, using us even when we don't know it and just so we can see your your plan and your your majesty that way we just pray that you'll be with us now as we read help open our minds to understand uh, more about who you are and how you work in our lives and how we can apply it in our own lives we ask these things in jesus name amen okay i think what we'll do is um, in reading we'll um, Start at verse 11, and uh, let's go ahead and read through the end of the chapter. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, through the end of the chapter. Malchijah, the son of Hiram, and Hassab, the son of... Okay. Uh, repaired another section in right. the tower. Right. Where are we at? Chapter 2. <laughs> oh, three! Is that right? Okay. Joe, you're next. You've got all these words. Right, chapter 3. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with, with there was no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuge gate, refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire. I went on to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall, and I entered the valley gate again and returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. And I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Our Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. I also told them about, my, about the gracious hand of God on me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding, so that they begin to work this good work. But when Sanballat and Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Okay, so last week, uh, in verses 7 and 8, we saw um, that Nehemiah had gone to the king and requested a couple of letters. One was to the governors uh, for safe passage through the different provinces on his way to Jerusalem. And the other one was uh, to Asaph, who was in charge of the forest, and was to give them timbers um, that they would use for uh, the city gates, for a fortress, and for a residence for the governor. Now this is a, really a, the key, a decree from Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. And that's kind of a key to Daniel chapter 9 where he has the he talks about the 77s 
So we went from there and went to spend most of our time actually looking at Daniel chapter 9 last, last week. And that this kicks off, um, as it says in verse 2, the, basically the first month of the year, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, which was 444 B.C. And we saw that the 77s ends up um, in, and when we combine it with an astronomical requirement of a new moon, or excuse me, a full moon on a Friday, you end up with April 3rd of the year 33 A.D., so I think that is probably the best date for the crucifixion that we can figure. Um, and then we, we took a brief look at verse 9, which uh, basically said that uh, Jeremiah, excuse me, not Jeremiah, Nehemiah had arrived at the province. Um, he had given the letters to the different governors. And we also saw that he had come with an armed guard. The king had sent um, officers and horsemen with him which indicates that he was indeed on official business at this time. The, the king had given him a guard, which was different than Ezra, who came with a large group of people but had refused to ask the king for a guard. Um, so this morning we're going to finish that section up by looking at verse 10. <coughs> verse 10 um, says, uh, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel so these are the two men who will be Nehemiah's main opponents here uh, in trying to rebuild Jerusalem and in helping the Jews so the first one is Sanballat the Horonite uh, one of the, com the commentaries mentioned his name is of Babylon Babylonian origin <coughs> So it's, it's, a, it's a Babylonian name. That's probably where he came from originally. Uh, he's linked to a place called Horon. And there are several different places throughout this region, you know, the whole land of Palestine, that have Horon in its name. Uh, the one that makes sense is a town called Beth Horon, and it's just 18 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And that's in the region of Samaria. So that's the one that makes the most sense. He's fairly close by. He's in the adjacent uh, province. There is, uh, I think we've mentioned it before, the Elephantine Papyri. Elephantine was a island in the Nile River, in the upper Nile, which means very south part of um, Egypt into the Sudan region where there was a uh, Jewish settlement, and they found some papyri there, um, old papers, and it refers to him as the governor of Samaria. So we've, we've got archaeologists, archaeologists have found his name in, in some of the old uh, records. So that's Sanballat the Horonite. And the second uh, fellow is Tobiah. He's called an Ammonite official. And so it's a little unclear as to what his connection is with Ammon, because his, his name is Jewish. Um, it's a very Jewish name. And he was related by marriage to many people in Judah. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Someone would like to read verses 17 and 18 for us. 17 and 18. 
Also in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Johanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Okay, so this mentions Tobiah. You see there's letters going back and forth between the nobles in Jerusalem and Tobiah. So he's not local. So that gives us the impression that he is in Ammon. Um, Ammon was a nation uh, across east, east of the Jordan River, almost directly across from uh, Jerusalem. If you went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, down the hill to Jericho, across the river and up the other side, you'd be in Ammon. Um, we also see that he's related to many of the Jews by marriage. And in the book of Ezra, remember, anybody who had given their sons or daughters to foreigners were told to give them back. Give them back. Yeah, to basically to divorce those wives. From them. So uh, after Am- Ezra's reforms, you know, these are probably marriages between Jews and other Jews. So he's um, very likely of Jewish descent, um, but also uh, related. He's, he's in Ammon as an official with a lot of relatives by marriage who are still in Jerusalem. Let's turn back to Ezra chapter 2. In chapter 2, we've got a list of all the uh, families that returned to Jerusalem under King Cyrus uh, back in 538 B.C. (coughs) Would someone like to read verse 60 for us? The The sons of Deliah... The sons of Tobiah and the sons of Nakoda, 652. Okay, so here we have a name, Tobiah, the same name. Um, This is 94 years earlier, so it's not the same guy. Um, But they're listed here because, uh, as it says in the previous verse, they're not able to give evidence of their father's households and their descendants, whether they were of Israel. So they had trouble producing their genealogies. Um, but it tells us that, you know, again, it is a Jewish name that he has. One of the commentaries speculated that they never did produce the documents, and they basically excluded this family from the list of Israelites, and so he carried a grudge against them. <laughs> and that's why we have the, you know, the basic conflict here. But that's pure speculation. So makes sense. Yeah. Um, we, we did see, you know, one other family listed here that ended up being in the priesthood, so they did find their documentation. So he was of uh, Jewish descent, a government official to the Amorites who probably lived somewhere in, in the area in Ammon. Um, but he was still very involved in the affairs of Judah. Uh, let's look ahead to in Nehemiah uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Someone might read that for us. There's a few names here, not too bad. Mm-hmm. 
No, but Sinbalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. Okay, so this gives us, since we're talking about the opposition, this gives us some more uh, names. Again, we got Sanballat and Tobiah, and it goes on and lists the Ammonites. So Tobiah was an official with the Ammonites. They did not want to see um, Israel uh, rise up as a power. Um, it lists the Arabs. We'll mention them later. I don't know if we'll get to it today or not, but um, we will talk about the Arabs later. Uh, but we'll mention the Ashdodites. That's the name of a city, Ashdod. It was uh, one of the main cities of the Philistines along the coast, what we now call the Gaza Strip. Um, and so it was almost directly west of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean seacoast. Let's turn in Nehemiah to chapter 13. And would someone like to read verses 23 and 24 for us here? Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the languages of Ashdod and the languages of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of the Judah. Okay, so we see this intermarriage problem cropping up again at the end of Nehemiah. Um, and that the children spoke the language of Ashdod rather than the, the language of Judah. So, you know, we have a general regional issue going on here. Um, Sanballat was from Samaria, which is to the north of Jerusalem. <coughs> Josiah, or not Josiah, uh, Tobiah was from Ammon, which was east of Judah. We got the Ashdodites who were west of Judah, and we've got the Arabs, who we will see, were south of Judah. So they were surrounded by opposition. Um, Is Ammon O-N and Ammon A-N the same places? My map shows Ammon with an A-N. A-M-M-O-N. A-M-M-A-N. Okay. Instead of A-M-M-O-N. I don't know. It shows the same area. Same area. Maybe it's just spelled differently. Yeah. So we have general, you know, we, we've got provinces here and peoples who don't want to see the Jews succeed. You know, they, they don't want another power rising up in the region. Now, Sanballat and Tobiah are singled out as two personalities that are leading the opposition. <coughs> now, it says that they were very displeased in the New American Standard or very much disturbed in the NIV. They were not happy at all with the situation. Um, and this is a word that doesn't really appear a lot in the Old Testament, but we do see it in Jonah. Let's turn to Jonah chapter 4. Get an idea of what he meant by very much displeased. We'll see the example from Jonah chapter 4. Someone well, I'll read it. <laughs> it says, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. So what was he angry about? God wanted to save the people. God, God had mercy on Nineveh. 
Jonah wanted to see them destroyed. And when God didn't destroy them, Jonah was very displeased. He didn't like what God was doing. So that's another example of where this term is used. It wasn't going the, things weren't going the way he wanted to see them, so he was displeased. Um, Were they enemies at that point then, or the Ninevites? Yes. Okay. Nineveh was capital of Assyria, okay. and Assyria destroyed the northern kingdom. All right. So... They came and they were upset that anyone was seeking the welfare of, of the Jews. You know, the welfare refers to anything good or pros, you know, helping them uh, become more prosperous, uh, safer, whatever. Um, so all these leaders, they, they wanted Israel weak. They wanted them downtrodden. Um, you know, we're not told that they were abusing the Jews like we saw in the, you know, back in the days of the judges but I'm sure they were taking advantage of them and they did not want the, uh, the competition. Okay, so we're going on to verses 11 and 12, back in Nehemiah chapter 2. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So he gets to Jerusalem, and he takes three days, basically, to unpack, get settled, to rest. Let's look at Ezra, chapter 8. This is when Ezra arrived in Jerusalem. Somebody like to read verse 32. Ezra, chapter 8, verse 32. On the fourth day, in the house of our God, we weighed out the silver and gold. Third, oh, 32. Oh, I'm sorry, that was 33. Okay. That's your turn. <laughs> yeah. On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from Abacanel. <laughs> no, 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 no. Toward Ezra in chapter 8. Oh, I'm in chapter 32. 9. Okay, someone else do it. Oh, it makes me feel good. <laughs> Thus we came to Jerusalem and remained there three days. We came to Jerusalem and remained there three days. I think that... It's almost a direct copy of what uh, mm-hmm. what we have here. Three days seems about right. You made this long distance travel. You get to a new city. Three days to get settled. He probably went and introduced himself to the local leaders. Got to know who they were. Um, um, so it gives three days to get to get settled and get get ready to start his his true purpose there. And we see that in verse twelve. So he begins an inspection of the walls. And he keeps it secret. He doesn't want anybody to know what he's doing. So, you know, he's already, just his presence there has raised some opposition. But he also doesn't want the Jews to know what he's doing either. Maybe not to get their hopes up or whatever, but we'll see more of that too later. But it tells us that he goes at night. um, He takes a small group of men and just one animal. The one he's writing on. So, you know, he doesn't raise any kind of suspicions about, okay, let's get this big group together and all a bunch of torches and everything. So why are you supposed to keep rolled ones? Yeah, I was going to say. I don't know. I mean, you would think they would, if it's going to blend was, in, you would just, they all would walk. Yeah, well, maybe. You carried stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I can speculate. 
you know. I was trying to, old, but I wasn't coming up with the answers. <laughs> possible old age. I mean, he came into town with an armed guard. Maybe he was important enough that he was supposed to be on the animal while the others walked around him. You know, it was a matter of his official position. Yeah, so. Um, but they didn't take a whole big cavalry out with him. He kind of snuck out at night. Um, but he does says he's, you know, he's aware that uh, God was moving him and guiding him in this endeavor. He says, I, you know, he mentions God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And God does put things into our <coughs> minds and our hearts. And, <coughs> excuse me, we saw back in, in the book of Ezra over and over again how God put things into the hearts and the minds of the kings to rebuild the temple. So let's just review. Let's go back to Ezra chapter 6. <clears throat> Ezra chapter 6, some like read verse 22 for us there. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. Is that right? Yes. For the Lord... <laughs> For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Okay, how about God had turned the heart of the king of Assyria? It was uh, at that time Cyrus, or Darius, excuse me. When Nehemiah here kind of reminds you of a person that really doesn't want a bunch of advice from those around him, he wants to take a scope of the area and make uh -huh. his plan be the plan and not really have a debate. It's <laughs> just like... Yeah, he had to get things settled first. Okay, I was, I was going to look at one more. Ezra chapter 7, and it's like to read verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to adorn the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Okay, so God can put things into the king's hearts to accomplish his will, to do good for his purposes. Um, we also have many examples throughout the Bible of God removing leaders and rulers. You know, we're told that, you know, God turns the hearts of the kings. We can trust him to, to take care of our leaders. Um, now in this case, now it's Nehemiah himself who realizes that his heart is being moved uh, by God to do this task. Um, <coughs> I just recently was reading through the book of Judges and reading about Gideon. Gideon was... You know, God, God addresses him as mighty warrior. <laughs> he's hiding. A, he's hiding in a wine press. You know, <laughs> he's certainly not a mighty warrior. But the spirit of God came on him, and he led uh, the Jews to defeat the Midianites. Um, so God, God, pardon. That's called sarcasm. Yes, God. I think God has a sense of humor. Um, so Nehemiah is being approved here, and I think, uh, or moved by God. He probably has a plan in mind about how to go about rebuilding the wall, but it's pretty general. He needs to go out and see the details um, of what is actually out there to get a better idea. And um, 
at this time, I think he's he's still developing his plan, working on getting it more detailed. Um, and it may be that no one in in Jerusalem knew that his plan was to rebuild the walls. He told the king, and then he and he came to represent the king, but he may not have come into town and said, I'm here to rebuild your walls. The only people who might have known this were the ones that went out with him that night, or they may not even known why they were going out. He was keeping it... Hush-hush. Uh, Hush-hush, yes, very much so. So anyways, uh, we have his reconnaissance mission uh, starting in verse 13. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates were consumed by fire. So again, at night. Tells us it was at night. Um, now the city itself, um, Jerusalem began... Uh, Originally, there's a portion of it called the City of David, which is, I mean, it grew much bigger by the time Nebuchadnezzar came and uh, destroyed it. But it's on a ridge that runs north-south. At the north end is the high point, Mount Moriah, where the Temple Mound is, and the temple was built. Um, And the southern part of, of that part of the city is the original city of David. So Nehemiah starts at the fountain gate, which is on the western wall about halfway between the north and south ends. So he goes out the wall and he heads south and goes around the southern part of uh, the, the old city of David. It says he goes basically downhill and it's called the refuse gate or the dung gate. Yeah, mine says dung. Dung gate, yeah. Why is that? The, that may be what they threw out there. <laughs> well, you didn't have a sewer system, so right. either buckets of slop went out and that slop yeah. was dumb, and yeah, because yeah. you didn't have a sewer system, you didn't have yep. a drainage. Right. So that's at the very low end, the down downhill end of the city, yeah, which made sense. Um, so he goes out the, um, excuse me again, the, Fountain Gate goes down to the very southern tip of the sea. Let's let's look at chapter 13. Excuse me, chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 13. If someone would like to read that. This is part of the rebuilding of the wall. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars and a thousand cubits of the wall to the refuse gate. Okay, so that's the same piece of wall that we're just looking at. And how long is this? A thousand cubits. Do you remember what a cubit is? A cubit's about a foot and a half, so it's 1,500 feet of wall here. I'd say 18, but yeah. Yeah. 50, so. <laughs> foot and a half feet. 500 yards, five football fields. That's a lot of wall. So that's this first part that he, he traveled, was a, you know, 500 yards of wall. Um, so he's inspecting the wall it says it's broken down stones are broken down the gates are burned so he's getting an idea of just how bad is his damage he's 
he's looking, he'll see, you know, is any of the foundation left? How many of the stones are usable? You know, how big a job is this? You know, how, how bad was the damage? So he's, he's formulating his, his general idea. Okay, going on in verses 14 and 15, um, he continues on. He says, I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. So this continues the description of his trip. He's going counterclockwise around the city. He's gone down to the very southern point, so now he's going back up, heading north up the eastern side of the city. So he's going up the Kidron Valley. Kidron Valley is between the city of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives, and it's a fairly steep valley here. Is it on a mesa? Is the um, city on a mesa? Not really. It kind of looks like it could be a hill. It's a fairly steep valley wall, yeah. And and that's part of the problem here is you've got all this refuse dumped over the wall, you know, and, and it's steep. And that's one of the reasons he says, you know, there's no place for my mount to pass. So he had to, he had to abandon the, the donkey or whatever it was that he was riding because the donkey couldn't pick his way through. Um, and at this point, it's kind of... You know, unclear where he went. You know, some of the commentaries think he continued on foot, went further up the wall, um, or did he just turn around and go back at this time? Says he back. He says he goes back in the valley gate, which is the one he came out of. Um, but it's not certain. You know, some of the commentaries think well, he continued all the way up and went around the whole city. It doesn't. It's not clear. Um, one of the things it does say again in verse 15, I went up at night. That's three times he's said he's gone out at night. So um, that must be very unusual for to go out and inspect walls in the middle of the night. <coughs> That's what he emphasized. <laughs> no <Yeah>. flashlights, right. <laughs> so, but I'm thinking is, you know, you look at some of the descriptions and the, you know, plan views of the city. He looked at it maybe about a quarter to a third of the wall, and it may be that that was enough. You know, he saw the condition of the wall. He just knew that the rest of the city was going to be more of the same. He gets a general idea of the condition. Um, now, just in, in general. Um, when they do get around to rebuilding the city, they're not rebuilding the full extent of how it had grown um, to you know a hundred years earlier. They're going back to the you know the city of da the city of David and the and the Temple Mount, you know, back shrink it back to what it was centuries earlier. And the commentaries say at least on that one site over the um, Kidron Valley. They actually moved the wall up to the top of the hill rather than, apparently they built it, it had to expand and it was either part way down the slope, but it just said it's too, it was just a bad place to try to build anything. So they actually shrunk the city a little bit, made it more manageable. Um, 
Okay, so going on to verse 16. So he's back, uh, finished his, his inspection, says he returned back to wherever he was staying, and now we've got verse 16. It's kind of a commentary. He says, And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. So we see again that he lists here all the people who did not know what he was doing, which is basically everyone. There may have been a few close confidants who knew what was going on, but nobody in the city. Um, now, I had a question in, you know, at the beginning of the verse. It says the officials. I was wondering if that might have included like Sanballat or Tobiah, but it doesn't seem to. He, he seems to be focusing on those who were in Jerusalem. None of the leaders, the priests, the family heads, the... Um, civil leadership, and he also mentions uh, the rest who did the work. So you've got the leadership, and then you got all the workers. You know, nobody knew what he was doing. Um, so he didn't want the plan leaked out before he was ready to present it. He wanted to present the plan in, in full, or have a better idea of what it was. Okay, now he will present the plan starting in verse 17, and I think this is a good place to take a break. Um, we still have a few minutes left, but I think this is just a good place to stop, and we'll start with verse 17 next time. So, Joey, you know, I can see why people go to Jerusalem even now to see what lives in it. It makes it all come Online. a better picture of what's there. Right, right. You know, you see a lot of people making trips to Jerusalem, you know, church groups, whatnot. And but to actually put you on that that land and uh -huh. see what it looks like. So. Yeah, and I think that the most common pictures of Jerusalem are taken from the Mount of Olives, you know, looking toward the temple, and you see that wall over the Kidron Valley, and you, and you and that hillside is steep, and I believe that's is covered with graves. For some reason, that's uh, I think they want to, according to the prophecies, I think the, you know, that eastern gate was where Christ is going to return. The Messiah is coming through the eastern gate. Um, and I think that's from, the, um, from, from Ezekiel. No one else was to enter through the eastern see, gate. They're like hewn out yeah. um, tombs in the, in the wall. Rock. Yeah, in the rock and in the, in the wall. Yes, how close. Yeah. Dear Lord, we thank you for your living word. Being a living God that has the word that proclaims you and proclaims you as a living God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the way it is um, relevant to them, it's relevant to us today. And we pray, Lord, that you'll guide and direct us with your word, that we will be obedient to what you have for us to do. Thank you for this hour of, and the lessons we have. Pray for the next hour to come that, we'll, that you'll be here, that we'll be in worshipful to an attitude ready to worship you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.